Father, we gather here this morning on this Christmas Eve to worship you and to lift up your great name, Lord, and to, and to either sing or to say what the ladies have just sung to, that, to us, and that is glory in the highest to you, Lord God, and to your Son, Jesus, and to your Spirit, who lives among us and dwells within us. And Father, we rejoice in the giving of your Spirit. We rejoice in the giving of your Son. We rejoice in the incarnation of Jesus Christ. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us, and we have seen His glory. It is the glory, Lord God, of the one and only who has been at the Father's side, has come to us in flesh to live and to die and to rise again and to reign forevermore. And so, Father, we rejoice in these good things that you bring to our hearts and to our minds on this Christmas Eve. And now, Father, as we come together corporately as your people, meet us, we pray, sending your Spirit among us. Father, sending your Spirit among our brothers and sisters in Christ who will be gathering today to celebrate this grand miracle, Lord, this greatest of all things that have ever taken place within our human race, and that is the incarnation of Jesus Christ. And so we commit ourselves to you, we commit our friends, our brothers and sisters in Christ to you, meeting in other locations here and across the globe. We pray your blessing upon them, Lord God, that your spirit would move freely among them today. We pray for our persecuted brethren, that you would be gracious to them, Father, wherever they may be found today. We pray for our missionaries and ask your blessing upon their good work, Father, on behalf of the gospel and those that we send out on behalf of LifePoint Church as well. And so we commend them to you today. We pray today specifically for, for Kelsey Nangolin and her work in Indonesia. And Father, she will be spending Christmas away from her extended family. She'll be there with her husband and child. But Lord, we do pray that you would be gracious, not only to Kelsey, but to all of those that we send out in missions who today will be celebrating Christmas Eve and tomorrow Christmas morn away from extended family, away from those that they have come to know and love, away from a culture that they have come to grow fond of and comfortable with. And so we pray, God, that you would be merciful and gracious to them, that you would pour out your spirit upon our missionaries today, wherever they may be found. Father, may they know the love of Christ, and may they share the love of Christ in every opportunity that arises in their lives. And so we commend them to you today. We commend ourselves to you today. Father, meet us in your word as we turn to Luke's gospel, as we read this incredible narrative of the life of Zacchaeus, Lord, and his coming to make room for your son, Jesus. Now teach us. Open up our hearts and minds, we pray. And we ask all these things in the strong name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, one service today, so I got to get used to some of you not sitting in your normal places. <laughs> hey, during this Advent series, I've been recommending, or I have recommended each week on the notes, a little booklet by Rebecca McLaughlin called, Is Christmas Unbelievable? Rebecca McLaughlin, I think, is one of the finest apologists alive today. Apologist is just one who makes a defense for the Christian faith. 
and she's written a really wonderful little booklet here. I highly recommend it. We have 20 copies, if they're still there, in the church library. You can read this after Christmas, but a uh, wonderful little booklet that helps us to understand and I think appreciate the incarnation and Christmas in a, in a deeper way. And so highly recommend this little booklet to you. And uh, at least so far, anything else that Rebecca McLaughlin has been writing. And again, those are available uh, there in the uh, library here at, uh, at LifePoint. Today, as we close up and round off our Advent series, we've entitled it Make Room. And today's message is entitled the same way. It is just entitled Make Room. And it will be, friends, one final appeal for me to you today to make room for Jesus in your life. And that goes to believers and non-believers alike that may be here this morning, that we would make room for Jesus Christ in our lives. And not just tomorrow on Christmas Day, but from this day forward, that we would indeed make room for Jesus Christ. This time, we will talk about this from a narrative about a little guy who has a really big heart. And uh, we'll read about that from Luke's Gospel chapter 1 verse, or chapter 19, starting at verse 1 and reading through verse 10 this morning. And so if you're here today and you're new to your Bibles, we have the text on the screen, but if you have a Bible with you and you'd like to turn to it, Luke's Gospels in the New Testament, it's one of four Gospels there, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then the Gospel of John. And we're in the Gospel of Luke today, that's the third Gospel into the New Testament, about two-thirds of your way through your Bible. And we're in chapter 19 this morning. And we're going to pick up here at, uh, at verse 1. And it's our tradition here at LifePoint to stand when we read from the Word of God. So let's stand together. Let's honor the Lord as we read from His text today. Luke chapter 19, starting at verse 1. Here we're speaking about Jesus as He enters into the city of Jericho. He entered into Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to that place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled he has gone into the, to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you. And so in our text today, Jesus is on his way to the city of Jerusalem, and he's about to celebrate a final Passover meal. He's going to be doing that with his disciples, and this will inaugurate a Passion Week as he goes into Jerusalem. He's approaching Jerusalem from the east, and so he's going to go through a very, very ancient city. This is the city of Jericho. It was and is still remains one of the oldest occupied places on planet Earth. He's wa working his way through the city of Jericho, 
the scripture tells us in our text today. But before he gets there, as he approaches the city, Luke tells us in the text prior to this, that as he's coming into the city of Jericho, there is a blind man, and he is crying out to Jesus. Jesus, son of David, he says, save me. Jesus, son of David, he says, save me over and over and over again. And the crowd around him are saying, be quiet, be quiet. But he refuses to be quiet. He keeps crying out, Jesus, son of David, save me. Luke tells us that Jesus stops. He calls the man over to him. And he says to him, what do you want me to do? And the man says, Lord, I want to see. And so Jesus says, your sight is restored. Your faith has healed you. And the scriptures say that that man then falls into line <clears throat> behind Jesus and follows him through the city. And then our text picks up today. Jesus now is making his way through the city. And he enters in, but he's not planning a long stay in Jericho. However, he does have some business to attend to in the city. And that business that he needs to attend to is to this man by the name of Zacchaeus. He has an appointment, as it were, with Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus doesn't know he has an appointment with him. Turns out that Zacchaeus is looking for Jesus. But Jesus is also looking for Zacchaeus. This has happened many times in Jesus' ministry as the Gospels record for us. John chapter 4 tells us that Jesus is on his way back north to Galilee. He's in Judea in the south of Israel, and he's on his way to Galilee, and it says that he has to pass through Samaria, a region called Samaria. Now, the reality is, is he doesn't have to pass through Samaria. Most Jews do not pass through Samaria. They go around Samaria. It takes an extra day or so of travel, but it's worth it to them because they hate the Samaritans. But Jesus has to go through Samaria. Why does he have to go through Samaria? Because he has an appointment in Samaria with a woman who will be at a well at noon. Now, she doesn't know that Jesus has an appointment with her. But Jesus makes sure that he has an encounter with this woman at the well. The gospel is proclaimed, and not only is she saved, at least from the, the context of that text there in John 4, but a big swath of people or a large swath of people there in that city come to know Christ as Savior, because Jesus has an appointment there with this woman. Mark chapter 5 tells us that Jesus passes over the Sea of Galilee into a region called the Gerasenes. We don't know why he's wanting to go over there, except that we know in the text that when he gets there, he's met by a man filled with many demons. And this man has been hurting for, for a long time. Jesus has an encounter with this man. The demons are cast out of this man, and this man is set free. And then the text tells us he simply goes back to the boat and goes back over the Sea of Galilee again. He had an appointment with a demoniac in the Gerasenes, and so he took the time to cross the Sea of Galilee to engage with this man. And this man makes room for Jesus Christ. Jesus returns to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. When he gets out, he's met immediately, the text tells us, by a man named Jairus. He is a synagogue ruler. This man is not a demoniac. This man is educated. This man is well-respected. But this man comes to Jesus because his daughter 
lays at home and she's dying and he begs Jesus to come and to lay his hands on his daughter so that she might be saved. Jesus agrees to go with him. And as they're on their way to Jairus' home, many of you remember this story, a woman meets him on the way, right? And this is a woman who's had a lot of problems for 12 years, illnesses. She's flat broke from paying doctors and others to try to find some way to heal her, but there's no way to heal her. And the text tells us that in the, in the mass of a throng of a crowd, Jesus is making his way to Jairus' house. Jairus is undoubtedly saying, come, hurry, hurry, my daughter is dying. The woman just reaches out and gets a hold of Jesus' cloak, and she is healed, and she feels the power. Jesus feels that power leave him as well. He stops, says, who touched me? And his disciples are around him trying to keep the crowd away, and they're the ones saying to Jesus, what are you talking about? Look at the crowd, and you're going to ask us who touched you? Everybody's touching you. And Jesus says, no, somebody touched me. They touched me. And the woman comes trembling before Jesus, and Jesus says, woman, your faith has made you well. And on his way to Jairus' house, and there at Jairus' house, he meets a little girl. And he tells the little girl, little girl, get up. Because she has died along the way. Somewhere along that trail to Jairus' house, she has passed into the next world. And Jesus invites her back into this one again. And Jairus and his wife and the disciples are over, overjoyed. Matthew chapter 15 tells us a story of a Canaanite woman, a woman who is not a Jew. And she meets Jesus, and she begs Jesus to come with her back to her home because she has a little girl who is also demon-possessed. Now, that's a, that's a wild one, isn't it? That one we don't have time to explain today, and if we did, I couldn't explain it to you. She says, come home. And Jesus says to her, woman, I didn't come for the Canaanites. I came for the children of Israel. And do you remember what she says to Jesus? Because Jesus has called her something, right? A word that is very common amongst the Jews. He said, <clears throat> I didn't come for the dogs. I didn't come for the dogs. And the woman says, yeah, but even the dogs get the scraps from the table. And Jesus says, woman, that faith has healed your daughter. Go home and you will find her well. And that's exactly what she finds. Friends, Jesus often changed plans for those who were seeking him. He often changed plans for those who were seeking them. In fact, to say it more accurately biblically, Jesus often made plans in his day and in his life for people who were seeking Jesus. Jesus went seeking them. He made plans for them. And oftentimes they didn't even know that he was making plans for them. He was working it into his life and working it into a schedule, a schedule that was packed from day to day with crowds and throngs of people reaching out for him and begging him for healing and asking him to go places. And often Jesus made plans for those who were seeking him. And Zacchaeus is one who is seeking Jesus. He evidently has heard about Jesus. Now, Zacchaeus is a chief tax collector. It's the only time we read this in all the scriptures, this, 
this idea of a chief tax collector. And so we can only assume by that that he has other tax collectors that are under him, and he has grown very, very fat and wealthy over this trade of his. He is the head over three taxing districts in Israel at that time, Jerusalem, Jericho, and Capernaum. And during the better part of the year, Jericho would have been the best place to be a tax collector, the best place to be a chief tax collector, because it was an oasis in the desert. And there was all kinds of produce to be taxed. And it was also where many who were traveling into Roman Palestine or Israel at that time, who were passing in, would have come over the Jordan River there, and there they would have been taxed before they came in. And so Zacchaeus has made for himself a very handy little trade as a chief tax collector there, ruling over normal tax collectors in that area, which means he's skimming from the top and he's skimming from the bottom as well. He's taking a pyramid scheme and making himself very, very wealthy off of that pyramid scheme. Now, you need to understand that tax collectors were Jews who worked for the Roman Empire. And therefore, tax collectors in general had the scruples of our modern-day crack dealers and pimps. And to the Jews, they were beyond salvation. They could not be saved. To take the role as a tax collector as a Jew was to remove yourself from your Jewish heritage, remove yourself from the synagogue of worship, and to know that you have been outcast, as it were, into hell. They were literally the walking dead in Israel. There was no hope for tax collectors beyond salvation. But Zacchaeus has heard of Jesus, and he is seeking to see, who is this guy? Who is Jesus? And because he is of small stature, he climbs up into a sycamore tree because he knows that Jesus is going to be coming down the main pathway through Jericho. He just wants to get a glimpse of Jesus. But when Jesus gets to the tree, he stops and looks up and sees Zacchaeus perched up there. And he says, Zacchaeus, I must stay at your house today. I have an appointment in your home today. And Zacchaeus is overjoyed because not only has Jesus recognized him, but Jesus knows his name. And Jesus has invited himself into Zacchaeus' home. Now, this is way out there in terms of Jewish hospitality in that day. It's kind of way out there in terms of hospitality in our day, right? We don't just invite people ourselves over to people's homes unless we really know them well. And yet, he says to Zacchaeus, I've got an appointment with you today. I need to be in your house today. And Zacchaeus is thrilled. But there are righteous Jews who are there, and they are far less enthusiastic about this. They are far less enthusiastic about Zacchaeus. They are far less enthusiastic about Jesus taking the time to meet in Zacchaeus' home Matthew chapter 9 records Jesus in the house of another tax collector, this one, Matthew, Levi, who becomes one of his own apostles. And the Jewish leaders are not happy at all when they see that Jesus has come into the home of Matthew. And not only is Matthew there, but so are a lot of other tax collectors because tax collectors have one type of friend, tax collectors. 
And so there's a lot of other tax collectors there. And Jesus goes into the home of Matthew. And the priests and the Pharisees and the leaders of Israel go to his disciples and say, what is this? This master of yours, this rabbi of yours is spending time with these sinners when he could be spending time with us. What is he doing in the house of a sinner? And when Jesus got wind of that, he said, it's not the healthy that need a doctor. Healthy people don't go see doctors. And he said to them, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He came to be with the sinners. He came to be with those who were not self-righteous. He came to share the gospel with those who would open up their ears and have ears to hear the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. That's who Jesus came for. And so now he's going to go hang out with Zacchaeus, not just a tax collector, but a wealthy chief tax collector. And there he is hanging out in Zacchaeus' home. Friends, it's the modern-day equivalent of Jesus showing up here and spending time with the other political party. It's the equivalent of Jesus showing up at some pride parade and then hanging out with people afterwards, and the righteous saying, what in the world are you doing there? Because you could be at life point today, hanging out with real believers. Now listen, when, when Jesus goes into Matthew's home, and when he goes into Zacchaeus' home, he's not saying, everything these guys are doing, I approve of. He's saying, I've come to call sinners to repentance. And how am I going to do that if I'm hanging out all the time with self-righteous people? And so he goes and makes his home there, and he invites himself into Zacchaeus' home. And he doesn't say, now everybody, listen to my proclamation. Being a chief tax collector is a good thing, and everybody should honor the chief tax collectors. That's not what he's saying. But he's coming to the home of a sinner, and he's called that sinner to repentance, now, friends, when Jesus comes back again, he's coming back as a king. He's not going to come back and hang out with us. He's coming back to reign forever. But if he were to come back, take a moment and consider, who do you think he'd be spending his time with? Now, I'm not trying to make us feel bad as if Jesus doesn't care about us. He loves us. He died for us. And we have come to know him. Jesus doesn't say to his disciples, now I like Zacchaeus better than you. You guys can leave. He loves his disciples, the ones who have given their lives for him. But he loves Zacchaeus, and he's been seeking Zacchaeus, and Zacchaeus has been seeking Jesus as well. And the end result of this very strange event is a saved soul. Zacchaeus doesn't just make a profession of faith. He puts his money literally where his mouth is. He makes a public vow to demonstrate that his heart is changed. He makes a public vow to say his, his heart has been changed. And friends, those of us who know Christ, we have to know this. Changed hearts make changed lives. Not just changed words, 
Changed hearts make changed lives. And Zacchaeus' life has changed. And he makes a public proclamation of the change that has taken place in his life. 50% of everything he has will immediately go to the poor. Now, this is well beyond what the law requires. 50% of everything he has ever earned goes immediately to the poor. Now he has 50% left, and we say, well, he was a wealthy man. He's probably got a lot. Notice what he's going to do with the 50% that he has left. Everyone he may have defrauded, read that I have defrauded, I will give back four times what I've defrauded them. Exactly what the law of Moses demands. Defraud somebody of one sheep, you must give them four in return. Zacchaeus knows the law, and so he goes well above it with his wealth. And now with what's remaining, he says, from that now I will make restitution. I will make wrong, right what I have wronged in this world. He's put his entire estate in jeopardy by doing this, friends. His entire estate is in jeopardy now. Now, Luke chapter 18 tells us the story of a rich young man. We call him the rich young ruler. And he comes to Jesus and he says, what do I have to do to be saved? And Jesus says to him, you know the law? And he says, yeah, I know the law and I've obeyed it perfectly. Lie number one, right? Jesus says, you've done well. Now, go, sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and make room for me. Come, be my disciple. This is a genuine call to this man. You can come and be a disciple of Jesus Christ, but there's something holding you back, and it's weighing you down. Now, get rid of it. You will find freedom, and you will have treasure in heaven that will never be lost. Unburden yourself of your baggage and come and follow me. Be my disciple. Come and be part of this group. Be a part of, of my life. Make room for me because I am now making room for you right now. It's right here in your court. Now, you know that story, most of you. That man goes away very, very sad. Why? Because he can't get rid of it. He thought he could come to Jesus with everything, all the baggage. And Jesus says, no, get rid of that junk. Get rid of it. Friends, for him it's wealth. What is it for you today? What is it for you that you would say, I'd love to make room for you, Jesus. I'd love to make room for you. Just don't ask me this. After that encounter... Jesus says to his disciples, it's very hard for the wealthy, for the rich to be saved. In fact, it's virtually impossible. It'd be easier for a camel to make its way through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And the disciples, do you remember what they say? Who could possibly be saved under these stipulations? And Jesus says, what's impossible for men is possible for God. Now, one chapter later, what are we seeing? We're seeing Zacchaeus make his way through the eye of a needle and live to tell the tale. We're seeing a wealthy man come to know Jesus Christ who's willing to make room for Jesus Christ. Zacchaeus joyfully 
receives Jesus. And that's what Jesus is asking of us today, friends, that we would joyfully receive Him. And now we must ask the question as we begin to draw this message to a close. Is it seeking or being sought? Is it us seeking or is it Jesus seeking us? Which one takes precedence in this story? And it's virtually impossible to tell. This story can be broken up, the story of Zacchaeus, into two halves. The first half is about Zacchaeus and the second half is Jesus. Zacchaeus wants to see Jesus. He wants to know Jesus. He wants to find out about Jesus. Jesus is going to make his way through Jericho. He doesn't have to make his way through Jericho. There's a hundred different ways to get to Jerusalem. But he's come through Jericho to meet Zacchaeus. He has been seeking Zacchaeus long before Zacchaeus was seeking Jesus. Zacchaeus had a heart's desire to know more about Jesus Christ. But friends, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. He came to seek and to save the lost. And so he finds a lost man up in a tree and says, if you'll make room for me in your home today, you will find that your life is different by the end of this day. You will find that things have changed by the end of this day. Jesus came to seek and save the lost, and Zacchaeus met that description perfectly that day. And so do you and I, friends. We meet that description. We are sinners in need of a Savior. And many of us here today, we found that Savior in Jesus Christ. Amen? Glory to God, we have found a Savior in Jesus Christ. And the reason why we found a Savior in Jesus Christ is because when we were looking for Jesus, we found out that Jesus was looking for us. And when we were ready to make room for Jesus, we found that He had already made room for us. But He came seeking to save us, that we might know hope and life in Jesus. Many of you know C.S. Lewis, Clive Staples Lewis. That's why he went by C.S. C.S. Lewis was a, a scholar of the first right. Incredible education. Went to Oxford, left Oxford to go fight in World War I, injured in World War I, came back to Oxford, finished his degree, and then began to teach and became an Oxford don, a professor at Oxford. He was raised by a Christian mother, but at nine years of age, his mother died of cancer. And as a nine-year-old, he lost his closest friend, didn't know where to go. Had an older brother, but, but his older brother was lost as well, reeling from the death of his mother. And so he decided that there was no God, that this God that he had prayed to and asked to heal his mother of her cancer had obviously not heard, and therefore he must not exist because C.S. Lewis knew that if he were a good God, he would surely have saved his mother. And so he gave himself over to agnosticism and then to atheism. But Lewis says in his autobiography that during this time, he continued to wonder about God. In fact, 
he writes in his autobiography, that he found himself not believing in God and yet being angry at God for not existing. And one day he went for a walk down a path with another Oxford Don, J.R.R. Tolkien, who wrote The Lord of the Rings, and Tolkien told him about Christ and about what it would mean for him to give his life to Jesus Christ. Lewis decided at the end of that conversation that there must be a God. He'd been leaning in that direction anyway. And then he says in his autobiography that one day he got into the sidecar of his brother's motorcycle, which means, you know, whatever he called those things, sidecar. And they were heading to the London Zoo. And when he got into the sidecar, he said he didn't believe that Jesus was the Son of God. Couldn't wrap his mind around that, his brilliant mind around that. And when they got out, or he got out of that sidecar at the London Zoo, he believed that Jesus was the Son of God. And he says, I can't tell you what happened in that trip between, except that when he arrived, he had come to believe that Jesus was indeed the Son of God. And ultimately, he gave his life to Christ. And in his autobiography, he calls God the hound of heaven who pursued him and pursued him and pursued him. Here's what Lewis says as he closes his autobiography. The phrase, compel them to come in, has been so abused by wicked men that we shudder at the phrase, but properly understood, it plums the depth of divine mercy. The hardness of God is kinder than the softness of men. And his compulsion is our liberation. Zacchaeus found that to be true. Jesus compelled him to come in. Zacchaeus, get out of the tree. I need to be at your house today. And Zacchaeus joyfully receives Jesus Christ, as C.S. Lewis joyfully received Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us, friends, that salvation belongs to the Lord. It belongs to the Lord. And that day in Jericho, salvation came to Zacchaeus and to his home, a very small man with a very big heart. And so my question for you today on this Christmas Eve is, has salvation come to your home? Will salvation come to your home? Will you make room for Jesus Christ? Because, friends, I guarantee you today that if you are seeking Jesus Christ, He is seeking you. And if you will make room for Christ, you will find He's already made room for you. There's already a place at the table. No one has to hurry about in the kingdom of God to make room for you. There's a place that's already set for you. And you will find one day when you enter into glory that your name has been written in a book of life from the very foundations of this world. Now, some may say, I'll get right with God tomorrow. Tomorrow's the day. Tomorrow's the day that I get right with God. And my answer to that, friends, is don't count on it. Do not count on it. Because your heart is growing harder every single day. Every day, our hearts grow harder 
to the gospel of Jesus Christ. As my heart was growing harder and harder and harder every time I heard the gospel from my brother for over a year of my life. Tomorrow, tomorrow, I've got plans for today. I've got this going on today. If I can get to the end of this week, two or three things I want to make sure I do that I know God would not be happy about. But if I can get to the end of the week, then I'll have accomplished these things, and then I'll think about God. And then my heart grew harder and harder every day until God had to just break my heart to get through to me. And I rejoiced that he broke my heart because I wasn't ready to have my heart broken. Jesus had already made room for me. And Jesus made room for Zacchaeus. And Jesus will make room for you. And how do I know that? Because God's kindness or his hardness is kinder than our softness. And his compulsion will be your liberation today. And so believers that are here today, will you make room for Jesus Christ? Will you come to a point in your life when you say, I really do want to be a follower of Christ, and I don't just want it to be my words. I want to be able to stand up publicly and say, today, Jesus, today, Jesus is the day. And whatever it is that's holding me back, I give it over. I give it over today to you so that I might know the joy of receiving you into my life. Because so many of us as believers and followers of Jesus Christ have not done that, have we? There's so many things holding us back. We've got so much baggage. There's so many things we want to accomplish that Jesus, we think, may not look kindly upon, and therefore we'll have to wait until we really give ourselves over to Christ. He's not waiting for you to get rid of your baggage. He's calling you to come down from your tree now and to give your life wholly to Him Non-believers that are here today, will you make room for Jesus Christ? He's compelling you to come, in, to, to come in, to come to Him. He's compelling you, He's calling you to come to Him and to know life and hope in Jesus Christ. Let's not find ourselves not making room for Jesus as our first message in this series was all about, saying no to Jesus. I have no room for you. Let's not destroy Jesus as King Herod did in that tiny village of Bethlehem so that he may have his way and the Messiah might be destroyed in his life. Let's not bury Jesus in all the clutter of our lives. Let's be like Zacchaeus and say, I don't need this stuff. I don't have to have this stuff. God, I give it to you. And listen to me, he may take it or he may not. I don't know what he's going to do for you. But let's get rid of the clutter in our lives, friends. Let's make room for Jesus Christ this Christmas Eve. Amen? Amen. God, I pray that you would do that for us.
Lord, that we would be like Zacchaeus, that we, Lord God, would come seeking you and rejoice, God, when we find that you have been seeking us. And so, Father, I pray that we might rejoice in new life today, even right here at LifePoint Church, that we might rejoice even here at LifePoint Church today in believers who have gotten rid of more junk and have said, I am more committed and more prepared to make room for Jesus in my life. God, I pray that you would do these good things among us today, particularly on this day as we celebrate the incarnation of your Son. We pray that in Jesus' name, Lord. Amen.